Making the world a more beautiful place, Artemis publishes artists and writers from the Appalachian region of the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia and beyond. This is the time when we need to write and make art for the sake of healing our souls and enriching our communities. Welcome to Artemis Speaks. Hello, I'm Jerry Rogers, and today on our program, I am delighted to bring in a writer who has come to us through a very interesting channel. Artemis Journal, for three years now, has partnered with a uh, literary society in Los Angeles that promotes science fiction writing, short stories. And they approached us years ago and asked if we would like to partner with them, and they would promote short stories, science fiction, uh, with a, a feminist uh, lead character under the title of Women Hold Up Half the Sky. And it would be a competition that would be opened up around the world with some uh, prizes, some uh, money prizes, and would Artemis publish the story? And I thought it was just a great idea. I have... Uh, uh, a background in New Mexico near Roswell, and we've always sighted uh, UFOs and growing up, believe in all that. I love science fiction. My daughter is a science fiction professional writer in L.A. So we said yes. And today I have the winner of this year's contest. And to our delight, after we read the story, this, these stories, we had over 300 entries from around the world. The winner was from a writer right here in our own region, and her name is Courtney Watson. Courtney is a fiction and travel writer who earned her Ph.D. in English from the Center for Writers at the University of Southern Mississippi, a scholar of women writers as well as travel writing and literary tourism, she's always dreaming of her next destination, and she's deeply inspired by the stories told in places she visits. The winning story for this year, Never Turn Your Back on Water, was inspired by her visit to southern Iceland, and she's going to tell us all about it. And I want to say that, you know, through the years we've had different writers win this contest, uh, it's a heavily juried process. There are four or five jurors in Los Angeles, and then I have four people on my end at Artemis, our editors, who are reading. So we're just delighted to have Courtney here today. Thank you, Courtney, for joining us. Thank you so much, Jerry. I'm thrilled to be here today. Well, let's get right into it. You um, have a specialty of uh, traveling and writing about your travels. How did you get into that? Um, well, I think as with, with all travelers, it's kind of a, a long story, but um, to sum it up, I went to college at the University of Miami, and while I was there, I majored in journalism, and 
um, I got an opportunity through my journal, one of my journalism classes uh, to go down to the Keys and do my first um, travel piece. It was on the historic cemetery in Key West. And that was kind of the first time where I was like, oh, I, I love to travel and I love to write. Let's see if we can put these together. Um, I then went on to the MFA fiction program at Florida Atlantic University. And I kept doing some, some local travel writing projects for um, just local magazines. And then when I was working on my PhD at the University of Southern Mississippi, I had the, the great luck, the great fortune of taking um, a class called Literary Tourism, uh, which I took it with Dr. Kate Cochran. Um, and this is, this is a field that she's interested in as well. And that just kind of um, lit my imagination on fire about the possibilities with that. So the class was literary tourism in the South, and there was a travel component to it where we traveled to some major literary sites in Mississippi. So Jackson, Mississippi, um, learning about Eudora Welty and Richard Wright, going to their, their homes and their graves and, and all of that. Um, Willie Morris's home site in Yazoo City, um, Truman Capote and um, Harper Lee's home in um, Monroeville, Alabama. So that was kind of where I started. I started very, very locally and then expanded from there with literary tourism. And that just became my genre of scholarship. When I became a professor, I was like, I, I think this is it. I think this is this is what I want to do. I want to travel and see the places that all of these writers I loved so much um, went to. And um, I've been doing it ever since, and my, my scope has expanded, but the heart of it's still the same. Very clever. I love it. Well, you went to Iceland, and that inspired your winning story, Never Turn Your Back on the Water, which we will publish in the upcoming journal, which should be out by June. So tell mm -hmm. us about that. Why Ireland, not Ireland, I mean Iceland, <laughs> sorry, and why why there and, and what led you to this story? Um, well, I went there for a conference. The first time I went to Iceland, um, it was for a conference in, I think, 2016 or 2017. It was the Nonfiction Now conference, and I was, I was giving a paper, um, and I, I had a couple um, essays come out of that that got published. And I was like, okay, this is a good place for me to write about. Uh, this is a, a good place for me to, to do, some, do some creative work. So I got an opportunity again to go um, in 2019. It was the last trip abroad I took actually before the pandemic started. Um, and it was just going to be a, a fairly quick trip. I think I was there for a week. And um, my dad had a, a break in his schedule. So I was like, hey, do you want to come to Iceland with me? Um, and he was like, why, why, why are we going to Iceland? And I'm like, there's just, there's some stuff you've got to see here. Um, so we went and uh, we went to some different places than I had been before, including this incredible um, beach in the town of Vik. And the town of Vik just has this, wonderful story. It's on the southern coast of Iceland. It sits in the backdrop of this enormous glacier, this miles long glacier. Um, that's just like this leviathan of ice. It's absolutely huge. It looks like a mountain range. It's like being in Roanoke and seeing all the mountains in the background, except it's ice. It's all ice. 
And so this town is really interestingly situated. Um, it kind of, it's between the glacier and the sea. Um, and underneath the glacier is a volcano, um, like a, a catastrophic volcano. Um, and so what they always tell you when you're going out to the town, um, if you're on the tour bus or there's signs posted all over the town too, uh, that if the signs go off, or so if the sirens go off, you need to get to the church parking lot as quickly as possible. Um, there's this little white church with a bright red roof. You can't miss it. You can see it from all over town. It's the highest point in the town. And they're like, if the volcano goes, like if it, if it blows up, um, it will almost instantly turn the glacier into boiling water um, that will wash away the town. Oh because my the gosh. Town <laughs> <laughs> I know. So this was more, instead of literary tourism, this was like disaster tourism. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, um, they're like, so if you hear sirens, they're like, you can't miss them. Um, if you hear sirens though, get to the church, get to the white building with the red roof and you might survive. <laughs> It's you are <laughs> so it's a very Icelandic thing to say. Um, they're just very matter of fact about it. They just they live in the the shadow of this all the time, and it's it's one of the most startlingly beautiful, haunting, desolate looking places I've ever seen. It's completely worth the visit. Just you know, be able to run fast if you go, <laughs> um, because they're they're very clear. There's signs everywhere. Like this is. Like the volcano is going to go off um, at some point. I, I guess it's like living at Yellowstone or something like that. Um, right. Yeah. They're like, this This is going to happen. Um, we don't know when. So enjoy your trip. But yeah. here's what you need to know. <laughs> so Enjoy your time. <laughs> live, live, yeah. live for the moment because you never know. The volcano may go. <laughs> Wow. So, yeah, as I, was, as I was reading about this place, I was like, well, we're clearly going here. We've got to see this. Uh -huh. um, but the other thing that Vic has going on, as with other parts of Iceland, uh, there are these waves uh, called sneaker waves. And it's it sounds like it's just a super intense riptide. Um, but they're like people have have drowned. They've been walking in like a couple inches of water, um, a very, very low wave can come up on the beach, but the pull of it um, is so intense that people get swept out to sea. Um, and there's a lot of folklore about that. There's a lot of uh, pretty much every disappearance in Iceland ever, I think, is blamed on these waves. Um, surely they're not accountable for all of them, but uh -huh. gets blamed for it. So that's tied into the folklore there. Um, so with all of those things going on, I just, I couldn't resist. I had to go. I had to see it for myself. And it's, it is worth it. It's a trek to get there, um, but it is worth it. So without giving it away, tell us a little bit about your story. Oh, absolutely. Well, it was the first few lines of it were written on my phone when I was just sitting on that beach in Iceland with the, um, the glacier in the background. I was kind of trying to keep my eye on it in case it started doing anything. <laughs> Something happened with the volcano. Um, and then the waves in front of me. And um, it's this beautiful black sand beach. And I just started thinking and the story kind of spun out from there. Um, this, this idea of life sort of hanging in the balance um, with these two major potential disasters on either side of you. Um, 
And so it kind of, it built from that. It really came from the landscape and being in that place. Well, I'm sure our readers will enjoy getting it once Artemis is published. Thank you for for that story. You have also traveled to some other very interesting places. In fact, we started talking about Hemingway. Uh, I've mm-hmm. been reading Movable Feast recently. Mm-hmm. The Burns documentary last week made me go yes. back and revisit Hemingway. And you belong to the Hemingway Society, right? I do. Yes, I do. I've uh, belonged to the Hemingway Society for several years now, and they do something that's just absolutely incredible. Um, They have yearly conferences, or it's every two years, um, and they'll have a conference in the United States, um, and then the next conference will be uh, somewhere abroad where Hemingway is, is famous for having traveled to and having written in. So... It's really, um, it's a really interesting society to belong to, and they go to all sorts of exciting places. Um, they've been to Pamplona, uh, and the one of the conferences that I went to was the anniversary conference, which was in Paris, um, and that was that was really incredible. It was the 50th anniversary conference, and Hemingway's daughter-in-law, Valerie Hemingway, who's a wonderfully respected writer in her own right. Um, But kind of her claim to fame, how she got started was as Hemingway's assistant. And she followed him around during one of his last trips to Europe before the end of his life. And she was the one who wrote down his notes for a movable feast. So it was such such a privilege and such a thrill to get to hear her speak and talk about her experiences of just going around Paris, um, going around France and Spain, actually, with Hemingway uh, during that time and listening to him reflect on his early life there. Um, and Immovable Feast is probably probably my favorite work of his. I love his nonfiction. Um, and I think that's sort of the, the quintessential Hemingway because we really get to, to hear about that just thrilling time period in his life from his perspective and what he was thinking as a young man in Paris um, during during war, uh, during the um, during really the age of the modernists. Right. So, and he, he, he fell in with Gertrude Stein, who then helped him launch his career, right? She did, yes. I, one thing I always tell my students um, when we study modernist literature is to not forget the fact that without Gertrude Stein, there is no Hemingway. Um, she was such an enormous influence uh, on him as a writer, um, but also her editing was really critical to the publication of his early work. So in addition to being a, a brilliant writer herself, um, she was incredibly supportive to that really the whole lost generation of writers. I mean, her, her influence really can't be overstated. Um, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of her work as well. So that was the, the Hemingway Society. And it was great because we got to hear Valerie Hemingway um, and Adam Gopnik speak uh, in the Eiffel Tower, just overlooking Paris, um, which was really incredible. There's a ballroom in the Eiffel Tower, which I did not know about that. Um, but my, 
my like my talk was at the American University in Paris, and which is also just a beautiful space. Um, it's a wonderful school, uh, but that was really to to hear her speak about Hemingway um, in the Eiffel Tower was just this surreal experience. So that's probably one of my favorite literary tourism trips. I, I loved that. And um, I'm also a member of the Fitzgerald Society and I've spoken at the Fitzgerald conferences a few times. And our most recent conference before the pandemic was um, in Toulouse in the South of France. And that was also a really great experience because that's where Fitzgerald spent a whole lot of his time. Um, so it was really interesting to, to kind of follow his path. Um, so that was, that was very cool just through the South of France and into Spain and down to Barcelona was, was wonderful. Hemingway was amazing, and I, I'm a big fan of Paris and spent a lot of time there. You can't get much better than the Eiffel Tower. No, no, that was an incredible experience, and and just imagining what it was like um, for him while he was there, and just all of the writers of that generation of that era. Um, I mean, that's my my area. The um, expatriate writers um, of the modernist era. So anytime that I get to go there is an absolute thrill. I just finished uh, the story about Mary hunting and killing a lion. And that's one of your favorite stories, right? Yes, I love that one. And of um, Hemingway's short stories, all of his stories set in Africa are just well, that's uh, definitely a destination that I would love to go to as well. I haven't been there yet, so I would love to to go down to Kenya and and just see what he saw there. But um, that the short happy life of Francis McComber is also uh, incredible and set there. And yeah, I, I definitely love those stories. Wonderful. Well, I just got a question from Skip for you. Did I? Did Iceland just have a volcano eruption? They did. It's erupting now. You can actually go and see it. They have a very Icelandic setup. They're like, be careful, but here it is. Um, yeah, I've seen some incredible pictures on Instagram, and it's they classify it as being a little eruption, but it's it's there. It's smoking. It's smoldering. It, there's lava. It looks gorgeous. Um, but yes, very timely. Isn't Iceland trying to limit how much tourism happens? It became so popular. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think I think they're in kind of a tough spot with that. They suffered greatly during the 2008 downturn um, of the economy. Uh, there were some major issues with Icelandic banks, and they um, they kind of turned to tourism to to save them. Uh, to save the economy, um, and it did so in a spectacular fashion. Um, I think, like Reykjavik's really not that much bigger than Roanoke. Um, it's a it's a beautiful town, a beautiful place to visit, but it's it's small. I think the entire population of Iceland is about three hundred thousand people, um, and they get two and a half million tourists a year. Um, and some of that they've done, they've like promoted themselves, like Icelandic Air has incredible deals all the time um, for a two or three day stopover um, between the US and, and continental Europe. 
So they they promote it, but I think they're trying to find a balance as well. Um, and they're trying to do further development just with um, with the environment in mind. I think they're very environmentally conscious. Um, so I think they, they are trying to strike that balance. So uh, we'd love to hear a little introduction to your story, first couple of paragraphs, give people a feel for what you wrote about. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so my story is Never Turn Your Back on the Water, um, and it starts uh, like this. It was colder out in the country. Kendra hadn't noticed the chill in Keflavik when she arrived, but now it seeped into the tour bus as they zipped through the Icelandic countryside. Kendra traced her fingers over the window and wondered if her faculty mentor, Dr. Reagan Leary, had taken this tour before she disappeared. The tour guide cheerfully listed all the ways they might die on their day trip to the town of Vik on the southern coast of Iceland. There were a few Kendra hadn't considered. Lots of people get burned by the geysers, the guide mused. They stick their fingers in the boiling water and their skin blisters like sausages. It makes it hard for the guides when that happens. We put up warning signs. He shrugged as if to say, what can you do? The guide gestured out the window at the glacier, a miles long leviathan of moss and gray ice. There is Katla, the volcano. She lives beneath the glacier, silent for a century. When she erupts, the sky will turn to ash and the glacier will boil, washing Vic into the sea. Someday soon, I think, perhaps today. That was beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Courtney, for joining us today. That, that's a wonderful story, and I, I can't wait to share it with our readers when we publish in June our next Artemis Journal. And thank you to our audience for joining us today. Thank you to Skip Brown here at Final Track Studios for making this happen. He never skips a beat. And I will see you next time. Thank you. Can anybody tell me Track of time, yeah. Nobody takes the time. You've been listening to Artemis Speaks. Artemis is a charitable organization now 43 years old and has evolved to be all inclusive, a journal with essays, poetry, and art. 10% of the journal's sales are donated to a woman's shelter in Southwest Virginia. If you're interested in learning more, artemisjournal.org You can mail us directly P.O. Box 505 Floyd, Virginia 24091 The closing music and the opening music you're listening to is Jordan Harmon and the song is Just Slow Down a very appropriate comment for the times that we're in if you want to read you have to slow down Artemis Speaks, the podcast, is recorded twice monthly at Final Track Studios in Roanoke, Virginia. All rights reserved and is co-produced by Jerry Rogers and Skip Brown.
got everybody walking around trying to do the same thing that everybody else they do and you know oh yes you know you gotta be yourself Yourself is all you got and all you got is what you need Look in the mirror, see it clearer The answer's staring at you And so just slow down in life Because you can't buy back your time And you know you can't lose time Just slow down. 